Hello and welcome to Empire Sports Talk. I am your host, Roman Gennaro. We have a lot to get to in this one, so we're going to jump right in. The first thing I want to acknowledge is I want to, um, you know, a lot of research goes into these episodes, but sometimes one or two things is going to slip through the cracks, and I want to acknowledge last week on the podcast, I was talking about the the tough decision the Carolina Panthers would have to face if they finished with the worst record in the NFL because they would have to choose between Bryce Young and Caleb Williams. This is not true. Um, that it, it was thankfully very kindly pointed out to me by a couple of, of our listeners and viewers on social media, and I should have known this. It's, it's my bad. I did know this, but it slipped my mind. Even if Carolina finishes with the worst record in the NFL and gets the first pick, that first pick goes to the Chicago Bears as part of the trade that Carolina made to bring Bryce Young to Carolina in the first place. So they're not giving up on on Bryce Young just yet. It wouldn't be fair anyway because that team is hot garbage, so it wouldn't be his fault. It's not his fault they're bad anyway. So I just wanted to get that out of the way and thank those viewers for keeping me on my toes as far as as far as the first overall pick slipping through the cracks for me. So I just wanted to to touch on that and acknowledge that I was incorrect and appreciate those who held me accountable. The next thing I want to talk about, it's really important and a little bit serious. You know, I thought a lot about if I should even talk about this. Um, And then as the days went by, I got more and more uncomfortable with what was said and more convicted that I needed to say something. I don't talk a lot about my faith on this podcast. Maybe I should. I probably should. Um, But I am a Christian, and I believe in Jesus Christ, and I believe in God, and I go to church every week. And so when Megan Rapinoe got hurt during her final match and chose to take that time to say, I'm not a religious person, but but the fact that I got hurt in my final game is proof that there is no God. It made me really uncomfortable. And I, I thought a lot about what to say, if I should say anything at all, but then it became increasingly clear that I had to say something. And it was definitely the most uneasy that I have ever been um, talking about anything on this podcast. Um, I certainly don't shy away from my opinions, but this was, this is bigger than me. And I certainly, this isn't a, this isn't a religious podcast. So I don't, I'm not going to sit up here and preach about why Megan Rapinoe should believe in God and should do this and this kind of thing. But I do, I do feel like I need to say something. I want to be as respectful of Megan as possible, but I also want to do right by my faith. First of all, Megan Rapinoe had a great career, a 14-year professional soccer career. You know, she had one of the most decorated careers for the U.S. women's national team we've ever seen. She's 10th all-time in, in, in career goals for the women's team. She's third all-time in assists. She's, she's got two World Cup titles in 2015 and 2019. She's got one Olympic gold medal and one, one bronze medal. And... She, she got hurt in her final professional match, and nobody wants to see that happen. That's a terrible way to go out. We all admit it, and I hope that Megan's comments were purely emotional. 
and she later realizes that that they weren't the best it wasn't the best thing to say first of all she said i'm not a religious person but the, but the but the fact that i got hurt in my last game is proof that there is no god i'm i'm not going to go on you know it's not for me to say like oh cuz i've heard i've seen some opinion pieces like oh it is proof that there is a god because because you you don't believe in him, so you got hurt. That that that's not at all what I'm here to say. I, I I've read it. I don't necessarily agree with it because God is not God is a just God, but that is that I that's not what happened here. But what I will say is that by saying that there are 14.3 billion people in the world that believe in one of the three major religions that believe in one God. 2.38 billion Christians in the world. And this was from, this was from a 2020 um, study done by the World Population Review. So, the, so these numbers are a bit old, but this is, these were the numbers that came up. Two, there are 2.3 billion Christians in the world. Because Megan Rapinoe just said God. She didn't say Jesus. She didn't say Allah. She, didn't, she said God. So... Taking in that into account, if you factor in the two biggest religions in the world, Christianity and Islam, which both believe in one singular God, and then factor in the 14.6 million Jewish people in the world who believe in the same God that Christians do, they, they, we, we differ on the identity of Jesus and who Jesus was, but believe in the same God. So that's 14.3 billion just from the mono, monotheistic religions, that she's saying, I don't believe in God, but because I couldn't finish my last game. Me, Megan Rapino, there is, it's proof there is no God in the world. So she's spitting in the face of 14.3 billion people who believe in one God. Then, those who believe in God, myself included, I'll speak for myself here. It is my duty as a Christian to understand that the life that I'm living is a gift from God and not, not it's, it's not mine. I'm living it. I'm in control of sitting here right now talking on this microphone. From that standpoint, it's, it's my life to do what I'm doing. But it is my duty and my honor to do my best to live the life I am given here on earth for God, for Jesus, to further the kingdom of heaven. So from that standpoint, people who are religious, and I understand religion, re religious can be a dirty word because there are a lot of, of people that, that do terrible things in the name of religion. I believe that, that my connection to Jesus Christ is a relationship that is personal between me and him. And so from that standpoint, it is my duty and my honor to live my life the best I can for him, to be a beacon of light to others in the world for what Jesus has done for me and what Jesus can do for them. I'm Like, like I said, I'm not here to preach that, but what I will say is Megan Rapino standing up and saying, the proof that my injury alone is proof that there is no God is kind of a, 
spitting in the face to anybody that has any strong religious conviction. And some might say that a 14-year career with 63 national team goals, 73 assists, uh, two Olympic medals, the chance to play in what was it, three, four World Cups in general, four Olympics, is a blessing. And the fact that she gets to play professional soccer at all is a blessing. She's one of the best female American athletes of all time. And some might say that she's been blessed with more than a lot of people who have more faith than she does. And there are people in third world countries that can barely get enough to eat, that pray to God, that pray to Jesus because and have faith because it's the only thing they have. A lot of times when you have privilege, you forget those that don't. What is, I think it was, there are several, there are several celebrities who have said in the past, you know, so-and-so an issue is not for me to comment on because I am not, because I am not um, dealing with it regularly. I think, you know, you see things like, like celebrities being surprised at the cost of a gallon of milk because they don't have to, they don't have to go out and buy a gallon of milk. I'm not saying that, that it's not for her to comment on because a person's faith journey, whether they believe in a God or believe or don't, is their own personal journey. But sometimes when you're in a place of high privilege, you can lose sight of some of the real, true, gritty things that go on in the world. I, I admit that, you know, I, from where I'm sitting, it's, it, I'm in a very first world situation. I have never been overseas to, to some of the third world countries to see it for myself, but I have many friends and family members who have, and I have, and I, we all get lost sometimes in our first world problems. But sometimes when you're in a place of high, high privilege, you can lose sight of kind of the, the real things. But I've said what I wanted to say about how her statements affected me and faith and, and other people who have faith. What I want to say now is that Megan took an opportunity, her post-game presser, that, that hundreds of other athletes before her have, to have taken the podium in that situation. And that is a time to be thankful for the chance to play the game you love, the chance to play it at the highest level like Megan did, the chance to do what almost every little kid dreams of at some point, and that is to be a professional athlete. Or, or every little kid that wants to sing dreams of win, winning a, a Tony or an Oscar for an original song or something. Every little kid has a big dream of doing something at the highest level. I know I had a huge dream of playing professional sports, and that didn't happen because of the disability that I um, grew up with. And I and I fought, and it, I fought regardless, and it's why I'm sitting here today talking about sports because that's because understanding that sports commentary and broadcast journalism was a thing was was the way that kept me close to the sports that I loved. And so everybody had a big dream when they were little, to do something at the highest level. 
And Megan was one of the few, so, so few, that not only got to compete in the sport she loved in college at a high level, but then go pro in that sport. And then part of the even smaller group to succeed at the highest level of the professional sport that she loves on a national stage. So, so that, that, that's why I brought up the, the world religion statistics because she is a national, or, or sorry, she is an international sports personality from her time in the Olympics and in the World Cup. Everyone around the world knows, knows Megan Rapinoe, and that's why I brought up world religion statistics instead of just United States. Yes, it affects United States, and the United States, or, and Christianity is the, is the biggest religion in the, in the world. So it's the biggest religion in the United States as well. But I brought up world religions for that point of view, that she is an international sports personality, and a big one, and an outspoken one. Most people take the podium for the final time and are grateful and appreciative for their long and storied and six wildly successful careers and thankful for the opportunity to even have a chance to play. Megan got up there, and, and, and I get it. It was a highly emotional situation. Not only was it her final game, but she got hurt in that game, and nobody wants to go out like that. We saw Chipper Jones back in, back I, what was it, it was 2015? Uh, no, sorry, it was 2012. He was going to retire the year previously, and he and he tore his ACL during a, during a game, and he said, "I don't want to go out like that." So he came back for one more year. Nobody wants to end their career with an injury. That's a terrible way to go out. That's the worst possible way to go out. But it happens. And Megan got up there in, in a moment where she had an opportunity to be grateful for everything she'd been given in her career, and she chose woe is me because I didn't get to finish my last game in a storied 14-year career. There is no God. Nobody asked her about God in that situation. She volunteered that information. She glossed over the fact that she announced her retirement a year prior. So for an entire year, the, the soccer world, not just the women's soccer world, but the soccer world, paid tribute to her, had an opportunity to tell to let her know how appreciative they were, how much she meant to them, how much of a role model she was to a lot of young girls. So she had a whole year of tributes and standing ovations and rounds of applause, of appreciation from her fan bases across the world. And in the moment, in her moment of saying goodbye to the sport of soccer, she chose to forget all of that and angrily talk about everything that was taken away from her in those final 90 minutes. She, she, she boiled her entire career down to those final 90 minutes where she got injured. And so I, I really hope Megan Rapinoe takes a step back in a few days, in a few weeks, after, after the emotion of all of this subsides and realizes, you know what, 
I'm not a religious person, so I can't speak for all those who are and say, because I alone got hurt, that there is no God. Because, and if I realize that my entire career is a blessing, and if I realize that I have friends and family and fans, and I've had a great career, and all of that is great, and I chose to focus on the one bad thing. It happens to all of us every day. The difference is Megan Rapinoe just did it on a world stage. It happens to all of us every day where we focus on the negative a lot. I know I do it more than I should. But then you factor the fact that Megan chose to say, because I alone, one person who admittedly does not believe in God, could not finish the final professional match of a long and storied and successful career, I get to speak on the existence of that God because my world revolves around me. Now, if you're somebody that doesn't believe in God and don't believe in a, in a power higher than yourself, it's easy to say, oh, it's my life. I can do with it what I want and my world revolves around me. From that standpoint, yes, that's where she's coming from. But Megan's statement says, said that even if there is a God, my misfortune is the center point. My misfortune is proof that there isn't. Mine alone. Not the plight of America, not the plight of women, not the plight of whoever. Me, Megan. My misfortune as a solo human woman is proof that God does not exist. That is the most self-serving, narcissistic thing I may have I, I may have ever heard, honestly. And I said when I went into this, is I don't want to disrespect Megan. And maybe I have, and for that I'm sorry. I'm just pointing out the narcissism of her statement, of the statement she chose to make. I respect Megan as an athlete. I respect Megan, Megan's ability to have the views that Megan has. But she, but she pushed those views on people on a national stage when nobody brought it up and, and made a, a pretty harsh statement about religion, about monotheism, when there are 14 billion people around the world who hold a belief that opposes hers. And she said, because, because I got hurt, the 14 billion of you who believe in a single God are wrong. And yeah, I know there are, what, what's the number? There are I understand there are there are nearly 1.2 billion people that have no religious view. That's fine. I'm not here to pass judgment on those who don't believe. But what I don't what what I couldn't stay quiet about is that Megan, who admittedly herself does not believe, was passing judgment on the 14 billion who do because of her injury. And despite my conflict about if I should say anything, what I should say, I couldn't stay quiet based on my strong belief in Jesus Christ. 
I couldn't stay quiet about her comments. Megan is alive and well. Megan has great family, great friends, and in the grand scheme of things, she's healthy. Yes, she has. She tore her ACL. That's gonna take. That's gonna take rehabilitation. That's gonna take work. But she has the resources to to go to therapy, to get physical therapy, to rehab, to to have the support of her family and friends to do it. And she doesn't have to rush back to play again, so she can take her time. Like. Yes, the ending of her career is not what she hoped for, but she chose to not look at the entirety of her career in that moment. Congratulations, Megan Rapino, on a fantastic professional career. And I hope in time that you can take a step back and be reminded of the blessing that has been your career up to this point and, and let go of the disappointment of that final match. Moving on from that to, to more directly related things, Draymond Green was suspended five games for putting Rudy Gobert in a headlock um, during a, an NBA in-season tournament game against Minnesota. This came after things got, got a little chippy between um, Draymond's teammate Clay Thompson and and, and another Minnesota player, I think it was Jade, I think it was Jalen McDaniels, and there was a claim that Rudy Gobert put his hands on Clay Thompson's neck, but 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 I couldn't see it on the tape. What I did see instead, you 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 did see that Clay's jersey was ripped, but what I did see instead was Draymond putting Rudy Gobert in a headlock and dragging him backwards several feet for a way longer amount of time than he needed to have Rudy Gobert in a headlock. And at one point during that headlock, Draymond Green looked Rudy Gobert in the eye, looked down at him in the eye, and, and dragged him halfway across the NBA court. And you could see the, the fear in Rudy Gobert's face. And he, was, he, didn't, he wasn't sure what was happening because he was headlocked from behind. He was dragged backwards. And he and he even threw his hands up to officials and said, "Like, are are you going to do something about this?" And what I noticed about it was that yes, Carl Anthony Towns was trying to break it up, but there were a lot of Minnesota Timberwolves teammates that were just standing by, probably for fear of suspension. But but if your teammate is in a headlock and being dragged backwards for several feet away from the play. Like Draymond could have let him, if Draymond had let him go quickly, this isn't that big a deal. But Draymond held him in that headlock for way too long. And, and nobody except Carl Anthony Towns really tried to help him out. And even Carl Anthony Towns was just like trying to get Draymond's arms off of, like was, was trying, but not super, super hard. I understand that this would have escalated things, but if I'm a teammate, and I see a player who has a long history of kind of dirty, dirty plays and 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 suspensions for for things of this nature. And I see him with my teammate in a headlock and dragging him backwards. I'm probably risking suspension and throwing a punch. I am I am getting Draymond off of Rudy Gobert any way I know how. 
and I certainly would hope I'm not the only person doing it. So the fact that the Timberwolves kind of stood by, with the exception of Carl Anthony Towns, kind of stood by and let it happen until whistles were blown, I don't agree with that at all. I think I think Minnesota the Minnesota players should have jumped in. I, if I had been a coach, I would have come off the bench and jumped. Like, you don't let that happen to your player. And Draymond Green was handed a five-game suspension for this incident. Some thought it was too many. Some thought it was too few. Some thought it should have been at least ten. Uh, I actually thought that five was too few. But the reason that the NBA gave, that the league office gave for it being five, um, which many people thought was too many, was because they were looking at Draymond's past behavior. And they and they were basically saying, we're judging you by a new metric because of all the times that you've kicked people in the groin, that you stepped on DeMonte Sabonis, that you got suspended for a game in the NBA Finals for that. They're looking at the, the entire tapestry of Draymond Green's interactions and saying, you can't, we're watching you, you can't keep acting like this. Here's five games. So it's created, because in the past, the NBA has, has tried to keep each incident separate and say, we're not going to judge you on your past behavior, um, whatever. But now they're introducing a new scenario for Draymond. They're saying, you do this so often and so blatantly that we now cannot ignore everything you've done previously. Everybody is afforded the right to change and improve and work on themselves. But you come out here, you put Rudy Gobert in a headlock, you drag him backwards, you, you grab a hold of him for, for way longer than necessary, and then you take the podium and say, I'm Draymond Green, and I'm going to be Draymond Green. Stop trying to change me. Showing no remorse or second thought for your blatant action of dragging him backwards. Of course, the league office is going to look at that and say, well, we can't ignore your unwillingness to look at your own behavior on top of the incident. Like, yes, Demontis Sabonis grabbed your foot before you stepped on him, but you could have stepped over him and moved on with your life. You chose to step on him. Yes, you had to get Rudy Gobert off of Clay Thompson. From that standpoint, you were a good teammate. But no, you didn't have to drag him back 20 feet away from the play after it was over with Rudy Gobert screaming for help from the officials. Like that, that's no longer a basketball play, and that's just an act of aggression because Rudy Gobert was afraid. So they had to look at all of Draymond's situation, and, and, and I would have given him five games just for the headlock. I then would have given him probably, if you're going to look at everything, I, w- I would have tacked on a few more games because of the fact that he got up on the podium after and he said, I'm, he basically said, I'm not sorry. I'm me. Stop trying to change me, which means stop trying to suspend me for me being me. He's not sorry for what he did. He has no remorse. He, he, did, he hasn't thought better of his actions. So that alone should have gotten him, gotten games tacked on to the five games. Draymond is is one of the better is one of the better defensive players in the NBA. But like Dylan Brooks, often becomes the point of conversation beyond defense because they he takes it too far. 
that's that's why I find it kind of ironic that Draymond Green went after Dylan Brooks a, a, after last year's playoffs because there are a lot of similarities there. Great defensive players that take things way too far and don't apologize for them. So, And then the other thing is that, as some of the ESPN anchors pointed out after this happened, the NBA is trying something new this season with the in-season tournament. I wasn't sure how I felt about it, but after seeing it, I think it's kind of awesome. I think they, I think the courts need a little bit of work. They're a little too loud, a little too bright, but it's a lot of color. But I think the tournament is cool. I think there needs to be adjustments. I think they need to adjust the, the time frame uh, on which the tournament takes place. And I think they need to put the game put the games closer together, this kind of stuff. But as a whole, I think it's a really cool idea. But when the NBA looks back at the inaugural in-season tournament, and how successful it was, the story of the tournament is going to be this, this incident, this punishment, this situation. And so it takes the, the spotlight off of the tournament that the NBA needed to, they, it was important for the league, for viewership, for, for excitement in the regular season. It was important for the league. And Draymond took that by the throat and said, it's about me now. Five games to me was just the start. Like, I, I feel like five games is deserved for just the act. And then I feel like you, you can tack on two, three more just for him saying, I'm not sorry. I'm Draymond. Okay, that's the same thing to me, is when you hear, like, if, if when you hear a 19-year-old's defense from why they're acting dumb, why they're doing dumb things and getting in trouble, it's, I'm 19. We've all heard that. Uh, you know, we've heard Miley Cyrus' uh, song, I Used to Be Young. Um, age has kind of become a catch-all for, or at least young age has kind of become a catch-all for bad behavior. You can look back at a few years, and everybody looks back and be like, man, I wish I didn't do that, or that's silly. But even, even Johnny Manziel when he was doing all his antics at Texas A&M at the time, he was like, I'm 20, like when asked why he would do the things he would do and why he's getting arrested and why he's getting chased by the cops, he says, I'm 20. That's not an excuse for bad behavior. It's a, it's a, it's a nod when you look back 20 years later and be like, yeah, that was dumb because I was young and didn't know any better. But when you, when you're in the moment and you're doing it, like it's not an ex- it's not a it's not a catch-all for excusing bad behavior. It's like what they say, you know. Some people are some people are like, oh, I'm I'm just blunt. No, you're just a jerk with no with no filter, and regard for people's feelings. And I kind of get the same vibe from the, oh, I'm 20, or oh, I'm just blunt from Draymond Green. Him saying I'm Draymond means I'm gonna do what I want to do with no regard for anyone else. And if you don't like it, you can go you know what yourself. There's no maturity there. And Draymond is in his 30s now. Like, that is the time where you kind of have to grow up and be like, okay, maybe I'm not acting the best. Maybe I'm not the best person right now. And Draymond's just like, nope, I'm me. Deal with it. And that's not the right response in this situation. So I think that response alone should have garnered a couple of games. I think he should have been suspended at least seven. That's just me. Uh, this week, the Major League Baseball season awards have been handed out. Congratulations to all of our winners. 
uh, Marlins manager Skip Schumacher took home NL Manager of the Year for, for getting the Marlins to the playoffs with a third-place finish in the NL East. Well, Orioles manager Brandon Hyde takes home the AL Manager of the Year. I thought personally that he should have been considered last year for what he did taking a 100-loss team to the doorstep of the playoffs when nobody saw it coming. I thought he should have been awarded the the prize last year. It he he did not get it, but but he gets it this year for leading him to 100 wins. I think the job he is doing in Baltimore is unbelievable. Uh, Skip Schumacher becomes just the ninth manager to win Manager of the Year in his first full managerial season. Congratulations to the two of them on their Managers of the Year. Blake Snell and Garrett Cole take home the Cy Youngs in the National League and American League, respectively. Uh, Blake Snell becomes just the seventh player, the seventh pitcher in MLB history to win the award in both leagues. He had previously won as a member of the Tampa Bay Rays. Congratulations also to Ronald Acuna and Shohei Otani for taking home the NL MVP on or for taking home the MVP honors in the National League and American League respectively. This is Shohei Otani's second MVP in three years. This is Acuna's first. But the story here was that both players were unanimous MVPs. They became the 20th and 21st unanimous MVPs uh, respectively in MLB history. But this was the first time ever in Major League Baseball that both the NL MVP and the AL MVP were awarded unanimously in the same season. Congratulations to Shohei Otani and Ronald Acuna on their new hardware. Staying with Major League Baseball, the league has officially approved the move of the Oakland Athletics to Las Vegas after after months of deliberating and Oakland trying to save their team and figuring out sites and getting the vote, it is officially official the Oakland Athletics are moving to Las Vegas. The interesting thing here is that it seems that for about three years uh, they will be homeless. The, the contract on the Oakland Coliseum runs out at the end of next season at the end of 2024 and the move isn't the move to Vegas isn't scheduled until 2028 so from 2025 to 2027 Oakland will not have a place to play and as of right now multiple sites are are being considered and will be in use for the A's to play in it'll be some combination of their AAA site in Nevada as well as Oracle Park in San Francisco, they will be sharing space with the Giants, along with some other options as well. So it's going to be an interesting three years in Oakland before they move to Vegas once they leave the Oakland Coliseum. We've seen it before where teams have been displaced for different reasons, where the New Orleans Hornets were displaced to Oklahoma City because of Hurricane Katrina, which, which, get, which in turn gave us the Oklahoma City Thunder, where... The Saints were the same thing, where because of the pandemic, the Toronto Blue Jays were displaced to 
Buffalo for for a period of time. So so displacements happen. This is a prolonged displacement, and and there was a story a few years ago where I think it was the Biloxi Shuckers, um, because of some things going on in Mississippi. That's the I believe the AAA affiliate of the one of the minor league affiliates for the Milwaukee Brewers at the time did not play a home game for three months. Um, so these kind of things happened, but this is the longest, the, the most prolonged thing um, that's happened in this thing where, where Oakland's going to have to play without a permanent home for three seasons um, while their move to Vegas is being prepared and finalized. So that's, that's an interesting thing as well. Staying with Major League Baseball for one more second, it was announced this week that the Atlanta Braves have been rewarded the 2025 MLB All-Star Game at Truist Park after the 2021 game was taken away from them due to the the voting laws in Georgia that many people did not agree with. But And I'm not going to get in, into it a lot. But I do want to point out that those, that first of all, those voter laws had nothing to do with the Atlanta Braves. Had nothing to do with Major League Baseball. And so for Rob Manfred to take it away from a Major League Baseball team and its fans when they had nothing to do with these voting laws being passed was asinine. And I think that Rob Manfred understands that and is like, oh, we're going to give it back to you because that was a mistake. I hope they realize it was a mistake. There was a, It was a huge embarrassment for for the Braves to have to cover up their their because the the host of the All-Star game gets to wear special patches all season say oh it's it's coming to us this year and the Braves had to had to had to cover up their patch and it was embarrassing for them when they had nothing to do with it and second of all I just want to point out that the laws that people had a problem with were things like were things like the signature on your ballot has to match were things like, oh, we don't want the absentee ballots to be out there too long because there, it, it, there's an increased chance of voter fraud. Oh, you know, there should probably be a limit on the amount of ballots that can go into the ballot box so there's no ballot stuffing. Things that are common sense, and yet people were up in arms about this. I, I also want to point out that both sides of the political aisle have, have accused have accused the other side of, of election tampering in the last couple of elections. So these are just measures to make sure that ballots are legitimate, that who is voting is who is supposed to be voting, that there's no people that have been dead for five years voting in national elections. These are common sense things, and, and some people got butt hurt by these laws because they misinterpreted what they're supposed to be as suppression or as a violation of rights, when in reality they're just common sense. Anyway, the Major League Baseball and the Atlanta Braves got unfairly punished for for this for these for this law being put into action. Rob Manfred is finally coming to his senses and saying, you know what, it had nothing to do with you. Here's the 2025 All-Star game. That is my soapbox about that. Don't I don't want to get too political about it because I'm, I'm honestly not a political person. I have my beliefs. I vote for what I vote for because of my belief system, but I, I don't go in for, I don't enjoy watching the debates. I don't enjoy talking politics, but that that's just my soapbox on that. The All-Star game never should have been taken away from the Braves 
and, and they're finally getting it back in 2025. The last thing I want to touch on is something really, really cool that's happening in the NFL right now. Uh, it's been another crazy season with, with, with Joe Burrow being, being lost for the season for the Cincinnati Bengals, with the Bills being 5-5 five and five and likely to miss the playoffs. We're now with, with Joe Burrow going down as well. We're now staring at two like perennial like Super Bowl contenders who likely will miss the playoffs, opening the door for a lot of teams who probably would not have had a chance to make it before that. It opens the door for the Jets and the Raiders and the Colts and a lot of team and the Chargers and a lot of teams that were not in the mix are suddenly in the mix because of the struggles in Cincinnati and Buffalo, respectively. Uh, but what I want to talk about is what's happening in Minnesota. Minnesota had high expectations coming into the year based on what they did a year ago, going at 14 and three. And I and I kind of knew, as I've said on this podcast before, I knew that they weren't going to be as good as a year ago because for one, they lost Alvin Cook. For two, they they they, they had a negative plus minus. Um, that I think it was a minus three last season, despite going going. Um, 14 and 3 they were 13 and 0 in one possession games that you knew that wasn't going to stay the same no matter what that's incredibly hard to do so it didn't surprise me when when they got off to a slow start but then they started to pick it up and started winning a few games in a row then Kirk Cousins got hurt and so it seemed like the hope that Minnesota did have was out was out the window and then Josh Dobbs comes in and Josh Dobbs had already had an interesting season because with Kyler Murray being out, they picked up Josh Dobbs, and Josh Dobbs was going to be their starter because they kind of, to a lot of people's surprise, cut Colt McCoy before the season, and he was the pre- presumptive starter when Kyler Murray wasn't going to be ready at the start. So they bring in Josh Dobbs, and Josh Dobbs plays pretty well in Arizona. And then when Kirk Cousins gets hurt, they trade for Josh, Minnesota trades for Josh Dobbs on October 31st, right after the Kirk Cousins injury. Six days later, on November 5th, their um, starter of that game got hurt, went out because of, I believe, a concussion. Josh Dobbs comes in, not even knowing the names of some of his teammates, not not being fully caught up on the cadences. He had to work on the cadences with his coaches on the sidelines during the game. He didn't know the names of his teammates. They cut, They came back and won that game. They won again last week. Through two starts, through through two games with the Minnesota Vikings, Josh Dobbs is two and zero with three touchdowns and no interceptions, a, a completion percentage of six sixty six point seven percent, and and a passer rating of over a hundred in both games. Like I'm not like Josh Dobbs was drafted in 2017 and he's having his moment. Now it's a lot. It's a lot like Geno Smith, where he came in a little, a little bit different than Geno because Geno came in at, like as a franchise guy, hope uh, a franchise hopeful level quarterback. Josh Dobbs was always going to be a backup. He's been a backup his whole career. In in six years, he's been on nine teams, uh, but he's having his moment in the sun. Years after being drafted, leading the Minnesota Vikings back from the brink of death after starting slow and then losing Justin Jefferson, losing Kirk Cousins, it was all over. 
and now here comes here comes Josh Dobbs winning his first two games, playing really well, like being the talk of the NFL. And it's just a really, really cool story. I'm not I'm not saying he's like he's a pro bowl. I'm not saying all this stuff. I was just saying it's a really cool story to see what Joshua Dobbs is doing. Um, having come in midseason knowing nothing about his team and, and being literally catapulted into the starting job. And I, so I think it's just a really cool story that from what we've seen from Josh Dobbs. The NFL right now, as it has been the last three years, it's kind of fun. Two years ago was one of the best seasons we've ever seen where everybody was beating everybody. So many teams had a chance at the playoffs. It came down to the final Sunday night game, the final game of the season, all this stuff. And then last year, it was it was all still jumbled up, but it was because a lot of teams weren't playing very well. So it opened the door for a lot of teams that weren't very good to get in. And it and it and it and this year is kind of somewhere in the middle, where there are teams that are playing better than than expected, and the door is open for them because some other teams are dealing with some other issues, some some injury issues. So, so the NFL the last three years has given us some quality competition, some quality parity, and Josh Dobbs and the Minnesota Vikings are right, right smack dab in the middle of that, and it's and it's very very exciting. That's all I have for you this week on Empire Sports Talk. Please uh, like and subscribe to the show on YouTube. We're working so hard every week to bring you quality content. Uh, we're going to be, we're 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 going to be off. As far as full episodes for the next couple of weeks, we have to, I have to send I have to get something on my computer fixed. But we we are working to have to give you plenty of content in the meantime on YouTube. So subscribe to the channel, pay attention to that. Uh, this is Roman Genera of Empire Sports Talk, and I'll see you next time.